welcome to the ABCA's podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Brownlee. This episode is sponsored by Netting Pros. Netting professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Netting professionals specializes in the design, fabrication, and installation of custom netting for backstops, batting cages, dugouts, BP screens, and ball carts. They also design and install digital graphic wall padding, windscreen, turf, turf protectors, dugout benches, dugout cubbies, and more. Netting Professionals is an official partner of the ABCA and continues to provide quality products and services to many high school, college, and professional fields, facilities, and stadiums throughout the country. Netting Professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Contact them today at 844-620-2707 or info at nettingpros.com. Visit them online at www.nettingpros.com or check out Netting Pros on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for all their latest products and projects. Make sure to let CEO Will Miner know that the ABCA sent you. Now on to the podcast. Joining us on this week's ABCA podcast is Thomas Jefferson High School, Alexandria Aces, EWBC, and DC Girls Baseball Coach Jennifer Hammond. Hammond also works for the Washington Nationals on the game day entertainment side. Hammond spent five seasons at Falls Church High School, serving as associate head coach of the JV baseball team and varsity assistant coach. This is our second installment of our monthly diversity spotlight episodes. In this episode, we cover catching, in-game tips, coaching journey, and differences in coaching youth, high school, and college players. Let's welcome Jennifer Hammond to the podcast. Coach, how you doing? What's up? Not much. How are you on this lovely Friday? I'm good. Happy Good Friday. Thank you. The same to you. Yeah. Hope you get some downtime and you get to uh, catch up on that sleep, right? Ah, uh-uh, whatever. <laughs> right? Sleep when you're dead. Uh-huh. I'm starting to think that's every coach's mantra. <laughs> it's what you sign up for. Mm-hmm. No days off. How's your guys' weather right now? Uh, rainy and drizzly, but yeah, not Yeah, we're awful. getting pounded. Are you? Yeah, we lucked out. We had the start of our high school season, like the first game out, the, the air temperature was like upper 20s, 30, oh, wow. 30 ish. And then we had like steady 25, 30 mile an hour wind gusts. Awesome. The coach in the Midwest, it was like, oh, oh, buddy, there's not enough layers for this. The wind. I know. And yeah. you just can't can't stay warm. I know they have like battery operated like shirts now that like warm up. I probably would have had to get one of those at some point. I'm starting to think, I was talking to one of the other coaches who hunts, you know, as a hobby. Yeah. He says, oh, I'm covered. I've got heated long johns on. I'm like, mm-hmm. <laughs> note to self, right? Let me, let me invest in that for next year. Exactly. Cool. <laughs> so when you do stuff with the Nationals, so what are you doing? So it's, it's part of the entertainment staff umbrella. Okay. Um, I've been primarily a ball girl, but we'll help out um, with special events, things like that. But okay. my role has primarily been as a ball girl. Cool. That's awesome. Can see the games for free. You know, there's nothing like it. It's something I wanted to do when I was little. I did not think I'd have the opportunity as an adult. And uh, I still get butterflies. I said, as long as I still get butterflies, then I'm doing something right. Yeah. You know, the day that I I take it for granted is the day I need to to leave. Yeah. Yep. 
Yep, cool. Here with Jennifer Hammond, uh, DC Girls Baseball Club, Washington Nationals, Eastern Women's Baseball Conference, Thomas, Thomas Jefferson High School, and the Alexandra Aces. So, I mean, can you fit anything else into your schedule? Uh, I'm, I'm going to say no. <laughs> We're at the point where I think I have successfully filled up my uh, seven days a week. Yeah. Yep, and I, I, that's just part of the coaching deal, just kind of make it all work. And, um, you know, I, I noticed, you know, what did you love about Cal Ripken? Oh, my gosh. I just I, I grew up loving him. I think part of it is just the nostalgia. of It was something that my brothers and I shared. Um, I got to go with my youngest brother the night he broke the record. I mean, it's just a guy I liked. I wore his number. I think anybody in this area wouldn't have another team, right? Yep. Um, so I was blessed to grow up watching him every day, and I loved the way he did it, right? Just yep. humble, work hard, show up every day. Did you get to see a lot of Orioles games growing up? I did not. The irony is I've seen more games as an adult than I ever saw as a kid. It was just it was tough for my parents to get up there. By the time I came around, you know, I was the, the last of the kids, and I think we maybe made one game. Yeah, we got to see – we missed Pete Rose breaking Ty Cobb's record by one game. So we <gasps> went to actually the day before uh, he broke no. it. So, But it was it was cool being in the stadium – with all that, when you get a chance to see history, it's awesome. It's it's a special thing. I appreciate it more as an adult, certainly, but it, it's fun. And there were no options for you in baseball, right, growing up? No, I mean, there there was occasionally a girl that would go and play, you know, through Little League and then kind of get pushed towards softball. And, and God bless my dad. He was looking out for me. He just figured, no, you're going to play softball. We're not, you know, we're not going to go through this. They were protective, right? I was the only girl. Um, three older brothers, all, you know, rough and tumble boys. And he just kind of felt like, yeah, no, we're going to, we're going to do what everybody says we should do. And you're going to play softball. Yeah. Is that the gratifying thing being with the DC girls baseball club is, is trying to help girls along the way, you know, kind of fight that a little bit. I love it. Cause it's, it's an opportunity for them to play where so many of them are either the only girl left on their team. Um, or some unfortunately don't even have that opportunity anymore. Um, just run into organizations that are not real open to it. Even even here in 2023. Yeah, which is wild to me that we're, we're still at that point where we're still yeah. trying to fight that because it shouldn't be a thing. Yeah. You know, what has the Eastern Women's uh, Baseball Conference meant to you? It, it was a home for me. It, the, the guys that I grew up playing with, the gals that I grew up playing with, I mean, that became a second family to me, much the same way that, that a college team would have. But to finally have a place to play baseball and to get to play competitively with, with the tournament group, it just... That group, I mean, it's funny how it's kind of come full circle, and I'm, I'm one of the coaches of that team now. Um, but that group, you know, when I was at 18, 19, and just desperately wanted to play baseball, was a home. And it was a place where I finally got to play the game that I'd wanted to um, in, in an environment where, you know, everybody there was so happy to be playing. You, you didn't have a lot of the clicks or things you might have elsewhere. Is that one then inspired you to get into coaching, was the playing side of it? Yeah, I mean, it, it was kind of an accidental thing. I was not ready to do more coaching. Um, and then a friend of ours was the D, uh, the uh, uh, DSA at a school. They lost their softball coach, said, hey, can you cover? Um, friend of mine and I got into it. And then from there, we would spend our time watching the baseball games. And eventually, the baseball coach said, hey, you know, hey, ladies, why don't we go out for a beer and talk about baseball? And I said, look, I'm, I'm going to need new JV coaches next year. Is this something you guys would be interested in tackling? And it was, again, I wasn't ready for that high school commitment yet, um, just in terms of schedule-wise, but, boy, I, I loved it. I mean, what were some things that stuck out about the coaching side that maybe you didn't realize as a player? You know, I appreciate my coaches a lot more now. Um, 
you know, I never realized how much work goes into running a high school practice, running, you know, a practice as the kids get older. And for a good coach, right, you can do it different ways, but I don't like to do things half-heartedly. So understanding what it takes to be a coach that's actually somebody that's going to make an impact with these kids, teach them the game, and hopefully use this game as a vehicle for life, um, teach them how to handle failure, teach them confidence, competing, resilience. Um, it was a lot more work than I anticipated, certainly. And there's a lot more um, kind of people managing than I realized, right? Um, I think that's so the art it, of coaching is is the, the people management side of it that you don't realize. There's so much gray area with the individuals that you coach that it is, it's really an art form to be a good coach. It is. And I'm watching and learning. I understand. I go back to conversations I had with my high school coaches and I have a lot more appreciation for, for what they did for me. Um, I had a, I had a funny conversation with somebody the other day. I also appreciate how, uh, you know, we used to tease some of our coaches about being out of shape and eating junk food, you know, showing up with a bag of fast food. Yeah, I get that now. I get that now real well, too well. Did anybody ever say, hey, you should reconsider getting into coaching? You shouldn't do it? No. I mean, we've, we've had a few parents. You know, it's interesting because I've kind of had experiences across the, the, the board. For the most part, once you have a conversation with someone and they recognize that you understand the game, then you're good. There have been a few parents that were kind of incredulous, like, right, so I'm sorry, did you play softball? Because I don't, how are you going to coach my son? Most of the time, it's not mean-spirited. It truly is just a lack of context um, and an unintentional ignorance. So I try to be patient with it and not be reactive to it. There have been very few truly negative experiences. My parents tried to talk me out of it. They did. Is they that sent right? me to, Yeah, my dad was a longtime college baseball coach. And so I grew up around it. And when I really decided, like, hey, this is what I want to do, they both sat me down and like, hey, you should probably reconsider doing this because it's not going to be easy. And they just wanted to make sure that, that I kind of knew. But growing up around it, I kind of knew. But they're like, hey, you're making more money bartending right now than you are coaching. Like, that, that's not going to be your lifestyle going forward for a while, like you have to really temper, you know, what this is going to be. And you have to be realistic about your lifestyle and, and all the sacrifices that go into it. So I think they just wanted to kind of prep me and their, their heart was in the right place, but I wasn't going to listen to them anyway. And it's a good thing you didn't, but I completely understand that because it's not, you know, it opened my eyes just in, in terms of looking at like, Hey, do I want to coach at the next level? What's that going to look like on a day-to-day -day basis? Because yeah. like you said, you know, I'm piecing together two or three different things to, to pay the bills. I wouldn't change a thing. I'm, I'm grateful to do something that I enjoy, but it is not for everybody. Yeah. What have been the big dif biggest difference for you? Because you're on the youth side, the high school side, the college side. What have been the biggest biggest difference with those age groups of kids? You know, it's, it's interesting to me because I want the kids to enjoy it and have fun, and I want to keep them in a sport that is competing right now um, to maintain that, you know, that demographic that youth movement um at the same time it's really fun to me to see the college guys having a blast now albeit it's summer ball but they're there because they have something to prove and they've all got something that they're trying to do before they go back in the fall um it, i've seen ironically to flip your question more similarities you know it's the same issues you know that we're dealing with it's building confidence it's learning how to handle failure and frustration um, it manifests a little differently in the kids than it does in the adults. Um, but it's really, I've, I've been surprised at how many of the issues run 
current through all, all levels. How are you helping them reframe that failure piece to, to learning? Um, understanding that failure is not something to be feared. Failure is a friend and probably the best teacher that life has, especially, I mean, we talk about all the time the cliche, right? The best hitters in baseball are failing seven out of 10 times or in today's game, you know, seven and a half out of 10 times, right? Um, and getting them to understand that that's your best teacher. So not to be afraid to make those mistakes, but to set the goal of, I'm not going to make that same mistake two, three, four times. I'm going to let it teach me. How did you get connected with Chris Bursett? Uh, you know, it's funny. Years ago, I had gone in to do some hitting work with him when I was playing more competitively. And I had reached out to him, I think it was in 2019, it was right before COVID. And I said, hey, look, coach, you know, I'd like to get a better education, some exposure. Obviously, I didn't play baseball in college. Can I come shadow you, you know, for a week or two with the aces? And um, boy, to his credit, I thought he was going to shut me down. He said, nope. And I went, oh, well, that, that didn't go quite as planned. He said, no, no, no. He said, if I'm going to preach to the players, they have to be there every day and commit 100%. I'm not going to have a coach come in for a couple of weeks. He said, would you be interested in coming on for the whole summer? And I said, wow, if you'll have me, that'd be great. Um, and as it turned out, I went from what was intended, I think, initially to be more of an internship, kind of an unpaid sort of thing, um, to a position opening up. And it's just been great. I love how he coaches, and I love his knowledge of the game. You know, right, a lot of catchers become managers for a reason. So, you know, working with him and listening to the way he manages games and pitchers, I'm just sitting there like, all right, let's make some mental notes, trying to trying to absorb it all. He's very complimentary of you, by the way. He says you've done a great job for them. So you do a great job in the dugout. Um, he did mention, like, when things get tense, you you hum or sing a little bit. And I had, I had different ways to kind of handle the stress as a coach, but I'm always intrigued by what coaches use to kind of get themselves to, to stay in the middle and stay centered. Yeah, it's, you know, it's funny. Humor has been a mechanism that, that I just inherited family wise. And so sound effects, what it's just, it's funny how it manifests, but yeah, I, I think, uh, I think I drove him nuts a few times. Um, but it's just how, you know, cause when you're a catcher, you're in the game, you're talking the whole time and there's a way, you know, as a coach, I'm still trying to figure out where to channel that, that extra chatter. Yeah. What are your other duties in game and then pregame? Um, so pregame, a lot of it is just making sure the guys know, you know, who's hot for the night, how are they feeling, making sure everybody's ready to go. Um, just kind of getting a sense of where they're at if we need to chat a little bit. We had a couple kids that had just come out of high school last year. Um, it's a very entertaining picture of me talking to one of the kids. I think he's six five, six six, you know, and I'm looking up at him and he's asking me all these questions. You get real nervous. And I'm sitting here just laughing because, you know, the physical relationship is one thing. I'm looking up at him, but he's looking down at me. Yeah, like, all right, so... Let's talk again about managing runners. I, uh, um, um, what is it that I need to, you know, it's entertaining to me to have those conversations and I have to remember, hey, this, this is a man child, um, but he's still a kid and he's learning, you know, this is, this is his first summer at this level of competition. Um, but a lot of it is just kind of triaging, right? So whatever needs to be done. Uh, and then the usual stuff, right? You get to do a little field work. You know how it goes with summer league, right? Little field work, you know, get the mud bucket and rub down the balls for the game. Kind of, kind of a little bit of everything, but I love that because I'm getting to pick up from different areas, different stuff. Which level do you feel like you've grown the most as a coach? I think probably between high school and the college ball. I mean, it tests you, it takes you out of your comfort zone. And I think for me to go into that knowing that I didn't play, you know, college baseball, um, I haven't been around that environment. Really kind of walk into the room knowing, hey, I may be the person here who has the least firsthand experience. And at the same time, be able to project enough confidence um, that the players will respect 
and, and recognize I do have some, some things to offer, you know, but I'm learning to and kind of strike that balance. So I think that's probably pushed me the most out of the comfort zone. I just, I, you know, and coming in with fresh set of eyes is a good thing too. I've, I've said it a lot. Like there's nothing wrong with somebody who doesn't have the type of experience because I think they bring a different perspective and I think they're going to ask better questions sometimes than maybe that somebody has been around it their whole life. That's a great point. And you know, you remind me, I'm, you know, I'm working with some younger coaches who haven't coached a lot now and it's, you kind of get set and this is the way we do things and here's our routine. And every now and then I'll ask the question. I'm like, you know, that's a great point. Thank you for, for being fresh. Like you said, fresh to this and giving me a different different thought let's let's change this up a little bit but yeah it, it's been an interesting experience I've loved it but I definitely feel like you know it's uh, one of the, one of the coaches my players said to me once you know my child grows best when they're out of their comfort zone and so I want you to push them and I and I thought well here I am doing exactly what that parent wanted me to do for their kid you know forcing myself into a place where I wasn't super confident super comfortable and just kind of hey buckle up let's figure it out is there a difference between coaching men and women? You know, I get asked that a lot. Um, there are some. I, I see it more in terms of the way that men handle things and, and women handle things. And, you know, don't blow up my Twitter, right? Because, um, <laughs> you know, you know, you're going to step up in a pie. you got to be careful about this. I, I think uh, Learning style. Women, for me, learning styles might be a little bit different. You're still coaching. Players are players. doesn't matter. You're coaching players. But maybe the learning players. styles might be a little bit different. I, I watch more in terms of how um, one of the, the things I notice is kind of if there's any inner team conflict, I watch how guys talk to each other. It's, it's very direct. Um, and sometimes, you know, there's some guys that need to, and this is true of, of male or female, right? They need kind of that little boost, that mental, that mental boost. And there are others who just want it direct, right? Like give it to me direct, no frills. What did I do wrong? You know, just hit me with it. Um, the biggest thing that I've noticed in terms of our girls that I coach and, and the guys that I coach, those girls are so grateful to be playing that when they come to us in the girls organization, because they're, again, usually the only girl on their team or maybe not even able to play baseball elsewhere, when they get together in the dugout, the family environment is very different. You know, that you don't have the clicks, you don't have a lot of that, um, Kind of high school stuff that I've seen elsewhere with some of the teams I've coached, um, but but again I've seen more similarities than differences. And you know there are subtle subtle differences in terms of the way that um, girls interact and and guys interact. But there's no firm you know there's not as much of a difference as I would have thought. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how do you help inclusion with that? You know, if there there's a coach out there that who's got a girl that's trying out for the team, how can we help inclusion? Well, I think a big part of it is, and the lesson that the girls have taught me is, hey, I don't want to be treated any differently. And one of the things I've noticed is some of our girls come to us having played, you know, up through Little League, and some of them are developmentally behind where they should be because coaches have not necessarily coached them in the same way. And so I think a lot of those differences that you alluded to are things that we impose either consciously or not as coaches. And I think the biggest takeaway for me is players want to be treated as a baseball player, period. Everything else is superficial, right? And any changes in the way that you handle them versus another individual has a lot more to do with their mental makeup um, and the way that they carry themselves and figuring out what they need as a coach than it does gender. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I loved having girls in camp. 
because again, it felt like I could help them in a variety of ways, but again, didn't treat them any different. And uh, honestly, some of them were physically more developed than, than the boys at that age and were better players at that age. Interesting. And that's something that we see too, because in coaching kind of the younger girls at like 13, 14, some of my girls are towering yeah. over the boys, you know, and they've, they've already hit their growth spurts. Um, but yeah, it's, it, there are more similarities than not. And I think, again, the big takeaway is I think people just want to be treated as for, in my case, you know, I just want to be treated as a coach. I don't need any special treatment. I don't need a newspaper article. Like I would just like to go coach and the girls uh, are the same way. Hey, I just want to play baseball. Please give me the same opportunity. Treat me the same way. Are you modifying any of your drill work? So like your college guys drill work, high school drill work, and then with the youth kids, are you modifying any of the drill work? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Especially with, with catching stuff, because especially with the younger catchers as we're teaching them. Um, you know, I think it was uh, Tom Griffin I was listening to, you know, one of his seminars. It, it is so unnatural to tell a kid to throw their face and their chest, you know, get your belly button behind the ball. Yeah. Okay, great. So um, that's a hard no. That is terrifying to me. Coach, uh, let's try something else. Right. And so, yeah, like we're going to do different drills. Like at the college level, we've got a machine geared up and we're throwing everything in the dirt to give them that sense of the velocity and the bounce. You know, with my youth players, it's like we're probably going to start with level five balls or wiffle balls. Tennis I mean, balls. Right. Depending on what their background is and their comfort level, because it's, it's a matter of building it. But it is nice to be able to say to the high school kids when they're like, why are we doing this drill? Right. The inevitable, like, I'm not really sure I see the point of this. It's like we're doing the same thing. I'm like, I promise you they do the same thing at the next level. Yep. Right. This is the nitty gritty. This is the work you have to put in. Yeah, I still work youth camp. And so when I'm working with the young kids, I'll be like, hey, these are the same drills I used with guys that, that play in the big leagues. So like it, if it worked for them, it's probably going to work for you. And I think that's the, the art of developing drills, too, is trying to keep it simple for everybody. For sure. And, you know, anytime that we can put anything fun into it, make it a little competition, that that would be another way that we scale it for the kids, right? Because our attention span and, and our understanding of what skill we're working on may not be as developed yet. So. With working with fun. working with Chris now, what are some things that stuck out with with starting to work with him because he did play at a high level that that maybe you didn't think about? Uh, I just I like the way he manages catchers. I like watching the way he talks to him between innings. You know, and talks about hey, you know, why not double up a pitch there? You know, um, a lot of the game management aspects. And when you get that perspective from somebody who's played at that high level, I think it really helps. Just one to kind of get that experience secondhand but also to understand how many things are similar. So that's the same conversation I can have with my high school kids. Like, all right, why are we calling that pitch there? Well, you know, I saw him kind of leak in as, you know, he was, he was pulling off the ball. So I thought, okay, that's great. But we threw that pitch three times in a row. So let's think about maybe why, maybe we could come back to that. Maybe we could set that pitch up and come back to it. Just different conversations. Um, but again, just watching the way he manages catchers and also talking to him about, you know, one knee down versus traditional because right, that's a change for him. And we had some catchers come in last year that, you know, came out of schools that, that are all about one knee down. Um, and so we had to make some adjustments, I think, in our expectations when there were some defensive differences in how we were taught and how we were brought up catcher-wise, what he experienced, and then kind of being open to that, watching him navigate kind of this new newer trend. Um, are you introducing that with your youth kids too? I am. I feel like for them, it's a matter of, just like with any catcher, with any player, what what's your athletic makeup? Is this something that's going to work better for you? And are you able to do the things that we need to do? 
Um, and then giving them the agency also to say, hey, like with runners on, I don't feel like I can throw um, from knee down or maybe I'm not as comfortable blocking because we have younger pitchers, right, that maybe aren't going to hit their spots and they're going to miss by six or seven balls instead of two or three. Um, so introducing it and then giving them the agency and the understanding of why, why we do it. And then just kind of trying to let them figure out what works best. Now with your ACES kids, your summer college, summer kids, are you guys letting them call all the pitches? Uh, Brissett usually does. Yeah. He lets them call the pitches, but then, but has that conversation in between innings, um, goes over game plan and, and gives them an idea of what we're doing. But it's a fun thing with summer ball too, is cause you can, you can let them go. Exactly. And that's what I was going to say, like that first part of the year is fun to just, everybody gets out there and, and as we're figuring out what the lineups are going to be, it's just, okay, let's, you know, here you go. Here's the keys to the car. Let's see what you do. Um, and I love that because they're having fun and they're in an environment where, again, it's that it's okay to fail. That's your, that's your big, you know, your best teacher. So get out there and play and let's see what happens and we'll go from there. Yeah. And what are some things that maybe you've kept from the beginning that you, you've always used? Um, you know, a lot of it for me in terms of, you mean in terms of, uh, like anything, anything. I think the big common thread and, and probably something that I've decided is even more important than I realized is kind of the mental health and the mental approach aspect of the game. Um, and seeing how at every level that is such a significant factor in a player's performance. Um, it's something I'm really interested in developing. I think honestly, if I had the chance to go back to school, um, and start over, I probably would have done something with um, skill set, mental skills, um, psychology, coach. Because that's, I mean, these are kind of the common denominators. When we see kids that are struggling, um, there's so much of a mental health component to it or a, a mental approach. And there's such a big overlap there. Um, so in terms of something that I was always interested in, but, but even more so now and have kept kind of as central to how we coach, it's, it's probably that. How are you addressing that with them? Like, hey, you can come talk to me about things that you're dealing with. Uh, in part, it's letting them know that there's other resources out there. But a lot of that discussion is, hey, look, you know, we're a family. Um, but unfortunately, I've had a couple of players who've had some, some very difficult challenges. Um, I know our youth right now are struggling. And so a big part of it is trying to reassure them that, look, you have a, a support in a community behind you and you may not realize that and it's really hard to ask for help when we get that um, but also know that you're not alone in whatever it is you're dealing with and whether that's on the field or off the field you have support um, i've been following china mccarney a lot um, i love what he's doing with um, athletes against anxiety and depression i think having public figures like that be open and be vulnerable is huge and being able to show our kids hey you know the stigma that that was once attached to this this is not a sign of weakness this is something that you need to ask for help and we're here for you it's going to actually allow you to play better too his hat's right behind me by the way it's over his his athletes against anxiety and depression oh, hats nice, right, right nice. above me yeah because right when he came out with that he was on the podcast with me so he recorded this a couple of years ago that he was on yeah. with me right when he started everything. And so I do follow China too. He's done, he's done a good job and he's really open and honest with it. I appreciate the fact that he's willing to share his experience. Cause I think the more that people can communicate about that, then again, kids are going to hear that, see that and realize that there are resources for me because you look at the suicide numbers now in the United States, it's a lot. That's 45,000 people it's, in 2022. It's scary. It's scary. scary. And seeing it firsthand with a couple of, of players, um, it's something that makes you more aware. And, and you know, I love um, Brandon Geyer. 
while he's not doing so much with the mental health specifically in terms of the mental approach to the game, I mean, I think it really shows the overlap and the importance of how we approach life. Um, and it's okay to get that support. Yeah. Cause he right? dealt with it as a player too. No brand. Yeah. And I think it's huge to see former professionals come out and, and be open about it. Cause unfortunately I think for, for a long time that was just, you know, the old school coaching was, Hey, that's a sign of weakness. Suck it up, get back out on the fields without really helping the player become a better better player but better person and handle life yeah because it just it's hard as a player when you view your head coach or any coach that way that like I can't really share with them because they're going to look at me different and that's why we do a lot of our mental health podcasts is try to get that open communication going between coaches and players is like they're actually going to play better if if they feel safe they feel seen they feel like they can communicate with their coaches they're going to play much better on the field yeah, and that's my hope. I mean, there seems to be enough of a movement now where the, the importance of that is, is finally acknowledged. Um, and I think recognizing the return, not just on the playing field, but, but in terms of the kids that you're turning out into the world, is so much higher when you take care of the whole person. And we saw each other. Probably one of my favorite barnstormers I've ever run was at the Nationals Academy barnstormers event that we ran. You were there, and so I thought that whole lineup was tremendous. That way. was a great night. You know, it's funny because uh, Brissette was teasing me because I'm sitting there. He's like, seriously, are you going to take a breath? Are you going to keep keep writing notes? I'm like, dude, this is my, right? You got the trusty coach's notebook. When I get the good stuff, you know, write it down. Um, but it's it's just nice to see. that The thing that I wish um, that I had been turned on to sooner, and Bonnie Hoffman, who you've worked with before and done a podcast, um, really turned me on to the ABCA as, as a wonderful resource. Boy, I wish I'd seen that when I first started coaching. I mean, just the ability to learn from other coaches. It's funny. Some of the newer coaches I work with are like, do you work for them? Because I feel like you're like an agent and you're constantly. We all like, are. Coaching. We all are. Right? That's like, what's well, great about That's what's great about our organization is I feel like everybody feels like they are they are running the organization. Our 15,000 members, I think everybody feels like they're running the organization. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's such a great resource and it's something that's so accessible. And I'm like, oh, no, you got to check out this podcast. Just take a few minutes on your ride into work. Just pop this in and, and take a listen and. It's just, it's nice to have. You know, for coaches trying to get into it and maybe coaches that don't look like everybody else, what are some Mm -hmm. tips for them trying to get into it? Um, I think the big thing is don't be afraid to make yourself seen, right? Go have a conversation, introduce yourself. What I've learned about the coaching community is it's very much about the people that you know. Um, There seems to be a great willingness to pull others along. Um, But you know, it can be hard when you're a little bit of an outsider. And part of that is even if you're not confident, you know, pushing yourself through the door to make that introduction and have that conversation. Um, it took a lot for me to reach out to Chris blind after a long time and just say, Hey, you know, been coaching high school baseball for a while. I'd like to come work with you. I'm so glad I got over that initial trepidation and did. Um, and you're going to find sometimes people that aren't receptive to it, but that's not the only door, right? It's find another door and, and it's not your tribe. Okay. It's okay. Yeah, you know, like there's track. a fit for you. Exactly, and and more so now than ever before. With running a JV program, I mean, how how gratifying was that when you first got to get going with that? You know, it was a lot of fun. It, I think having the autonomy to do it and having someone just say, hey, run the program. Um, coming over to, to do varsity the last three or four years, same sort of thing. It was like, all right, cool. So, you know, we had to kind of, put the work in and you know do the brunt work um, and learn. But it's so gratifying to then see like players that you work to develop 
than succeeding at the next level. You guys pretty much running the same thing at the JV level as you are the varsity level. So sign sequences, practice planning, is it very similar or are there any differences between the two? Very much more so um, at TJ where I am now. And we make it a point to do that. You know, it's a smaller program. It's a science and technology school. Um, absolutely outstanding kids. Um, we don't have the same amount of time to get baseball work in. And a lot of these kids don't play nearly as much baseball. So we have to really work to get as much in as we can in our like two hours a day, two and a half hours a day. Um, so everything stays the same JV varsity where we are. Same signs, um, same base running. We basically just take the program. Now, for some of the newer players, yeah, we have to um, kind of build some fundamentals first. But we try really hard to stay consistent so that transition is smooth. And so as a program, we put those building blocks in. What's the difference with a science and tech high school? So these are kids, they're there specifically for academics. So we have kids that come from all over the area. Um, it's the number one high school in the country. These are, these are outstanding, very driven young people. Um, and, you know, the joke is that they come for the sports. Um, you know, th these are kids that will say, hey, I've got to leave practice a little early. I've got, a, uh, I've got an interview with Harvard. It's like, hey, go get him, kid. You're going to... You're going to you know, be the next person to establish a colony on the moon or you're going to cure cancer. I am not going to stand in the way of that. So it's like um, Harvard, MIT, you know, oh, yeah. like Johns Hopkins, you know, yeah. that they're, they're, they're going to these those are, schools. These are your top notch kids. The schools they, I couldn't they, get into. Yeah. It's, I laugh because I, I, you know, there is a, there is a brilliance about these kids. We also laugh about like common sense and how sometimes with brilliance, common sense is like watching them sometimes put the pitching machine together or figure out how to transport it from the shed to the field just makes me feel a little better about myself because they do operate at a different level um so every now and then when something you know accessible and every day challenges them i kind of just quietly pat myself on the back and go all right gotcha. you're good have you had to adjust your communication styles at all with them you know interestingly enough they pick up on things really really quickly um having said that they're also very driven and they're used to being successful and i think sometimes the message for them is you know, you're again failure is a part of this game you need to not be playing afraid to fail you need to embrace the failure learn from it and figure out how to grow um you know whether you think i try not to make too many analogies but it's like guys you know when you're doing an equation and it doesn't work out and then you have to kind of like revamp your formula it's kind of similar um with the amount of different jobs you have, and I, that was my background too, but do you feel like because, not that you're an outsider because you're not because you're a good coach, but do you feel like you have to do more? Is there pressure on you to maybe feel like you have to do more? I, I think sometimes, and I've had this discussion with Bonnie before, I, I tend to feel like I want to know twice as much as anybody else in the room, and I want to make sure that people understand if I make a mistake, it isn't for lack of knowledge or experience. It's just like anybody else. I'm coaching and I'm going to make a mistake here and there. Um, but I do feel like to some extent, we feel like we have to work twice as hard, be twice as prepared. Um, there is still that sense of, hey, I got to prove that I belong here. Um, that is changing, certainly. At every level of the game, you're seeing, for example, more and more women involved. Um, but there is still enough of that kind of existing inherent bias that there's, you know, there's people that aren't going to be quite sure when I walk in the room what to expect. Was there someone that you looked up to? I mean, because we've had a slew of, of women get jobs in, in baseball now. Was there somebody that stuck out where I was like, okay, that's a viable opportunity for me now? 
You know, it, it's something, I don't know that there was a, a person that really stood out. I think when I came around and started coaching, there wasn't just a person where I went, wow, they can, this is great. They're doing this. I think it's all kind of happened around the, the same time. Um, there are coaches that I thought were amazing, regardless of who they coached, people that I grew up with or watched. Um, but it's, it's been interesting. I, I look at folks like Liz Ben, um, who I played with and who's now with the Mets. And I love watching what she's done. I have so much admiration and respect for her carving out a role for herself right out of college and then taking this path. Um, but, it, but as far as coaching, there hasn't, you know, I have mad respect for everybody who's doing it. Um, but I'm not sure that there was really a person there when I was taking this very different path. Do you think COVID helped accelerate some of that? I hope so. I think in some ways because everybody was shut down and we were all communicating by Zoom, there was no kind of advantage here and there. I think it allowed a lot of people to connect and maybe form relationships that would never have been formed otherwise. That's that's what I feel the same way because I mean we were all scrambling to find things to do and you would see different people that didn't look like each other were on the Zoom chats and I thought I think it did bring all of us closer together and, and opened up li more lines of communication than we've ever had before. Yeah, very, very different. And I I remember a couple of conversations that I had during that time. I was like, wow, this is great. Like I've joined a Zoom and no one knew, you know, who was on the other side of the screen. I was like, oh, this is nice. We're making connections. And, you know, what I think most of us that are doing this would like is for the point to come where we don't stand out and it's just a thing. And so, yeah, during COVID, I think in the, all of the Zooms, we had a little bit of that anonymity and could just be one of the crowd. Yep. Do you have a fail forward moment? Do you have something you thought was going to sidetrack you, but looking back now was one of the best things that happened to you? Um, I'll go on a personal note here. I lost a couple of people really important to me to cancer about 18 months apart. Um, best friend, mentor, partner, and then my brother um, within about 18 months of each other. And it was the kind of thing where I feel like it completely flipped my perspective on life. Um, kind of took the wind out of my sails. At the same time, I look back on that and I go, wow, I appreciate things so much more now. I grew up. I learned the power of faith um, and, and pressing through things and, and kind of learned that the stuff that, that absolutely knocks you upside down and leaves you helpless is the stuff that eventually leads you to other paths and helps you grow into a stronger person. I've, same thing for me. I've lost really close people the last couple of years. And I think it's allowed me to, to not let some of the external factors that you maybe normally would worry about that I just don't worry about some of the external factors anymore. Yeah, it's it's a perspective that's hard earned, but but absolutely priceless. Have you taken anything from the softball side of the baseball side? Um, you know, I have my experience with softball is kind of so limited. Um, it had been years since I played, and it was it was actually funny. I wasn't even sure. I had to call a friend of mine. I was like, "How am I supposed to coach pitching?" I was like, "Can you please come to a practice?" Like, I'm literally I don't know what to coach. Like, I'm so confused. Um, you know, I haven't. Although there are there are tweets that I'll share all the time. You know, Megram uh, softball. There's so much there that's great material, and there are so many great athletes and great female coaches there too. That there's there's plenty of resources. I just don't personally have that much experience that's carried over. When you first got into it, and you talk about again, coaches are coaches. But if you made a mistake, did you feel like you had to be guarded as far as you know being like, hey, I made a mistake there. I think we all go through that. That was hard for me in the beginning when I got into coaching. I didn't want to tell anybody I made a mistake. But did yeah. you did you feel, have to feel guarded a little bit when you first got going into that? I think so. I think, you know, part of that was that, you know, are people thinking I'm making this mistake because 
I'm a female or are they thinking I'm making this mistake because I'm a rookie coach. Um, and I think that's just inevitable in any setting like that. We all that, go where through it. We all went through yeah. it. <laughs> but, I, but I mean, you, nobody wants to fit, right? Nobody wants to be the leader and, and be the one that's responsible for the ship sinking, right? So I, I think as a coach too, I, I kid my players about learning how to handle failure and, and don't make the same mistake twice. And boy, you better believe as a coach, I'm like, oh, all right, we're going to learn from that one, right? I had to coach outfielders and catchers when I first got into it. And so I, I had caught in Little League, but had played outfield sparingly. But that was great for me from a growth opportunity and trying to develop drills and and it was a great growth opportunity but there were a lot of days where I was like I hopefully I'm not screwing anybody up here <laughs> you know it's the game will teach you coach or player the game will teach you quickly you'll know do you have any go-to morning routines or evening routines that you do that you like I try to take some time you know, whether it's where I'm driving to work or whatever it is, I take a few minutes, kind of say a prayer. You know, I'm not overtly religious. I'm, I'm spiritual in that I just need to center myself, kind of take a few minutes, put it in perspective, take a deep breath. And that car is kind of the quiet time for me now. There's not a lot of quiet time elsewhere. And so at some point over the course of the day, I kind of just try to take a few minutes, be grateful um, for the things that are going well and, and ask for some strength and some positive energy to get through. And at the end of the day, just, you know, hey, I'd like to make a positive difference in this world. I love the quote from Jackie Robinson, as cliche as it sounds, right? A life is not important except for the impact it has on others. Ultimately, at the end of the day, you know, if the world is a teeny, teeny bit better because of something that I did, then I'll feel like what I did was worthwhile. Um, I make that, that same distinction for me personally, too, more spiritual than religious. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think everybody has to less, find what works less for them. Easter weekend if I get exactly exactly you know on easter weekend i don't want to offend anyone i want to make sure I'm, you know it's it's all inclusive whatever you believe believe yes. just be a good person i say it all the time you know it doesn't matter what you believe just be a good person and treat people right yeah and the world needs more of that right now and our kids need more of that working with the nationals ha has there been because again you see a lot of games who are the the standouts where it's like hey they look different than everybody else Gosh, you know, we had that World Series team that we had in 2019, watching players like Trey Turner and Anthony Rendon and Juan Soto. Good Lord. I mean, Juan Soto, the way the ball came off the bat, you'd hear the difference, right? Um, Trey Turner's speed. I mean, talk about how speed changes the game. And then watching Rendon defensively. I mean, just the things I got to see up close at, at game speed and just going, wow. That's that's a different kind of player. That's a generational kind of player, um, especially watching Soto come up. Um, I feel really fortunate to be able to watch that because you'll see, like, when teams come to town and you're watching batting practice, it's like, wow, the ball comes off that bat different. You just you hear it or you see things game speed. on some of these defensive guys, like Nolan Arenado, just watching the way that they pounce on a ball, it's almost supernatural. How do we temper that, though, as a youth coach? Because we try to communicate that to youth coaches. Like, hey, your kids aren't going to look like what you see on TV every day. Yeah, it's a little reality check because they think, you know, when the high school parent comes in and they're like, hey, my freshman is uh, going to be a D1 college athlete. And you're looking at a kid who's a great kid, but you're going, all right, we should probably have some, you know, chats about expectations versus reality. I, I think it's good to encourage the kids to dream and to understand that there is a next level. Uh, but I also saw a great diagram one time. The base of the diagram is all the kids playing Little League. And as you get to the very top, which is professional players, right, it's whittled down to the elitist of the elite. 
And I think it's just important letting them know, look, you can continue to dream. You can continue to play ball, you know, make it your goal to play in college. Um, but there are a lot more things out there than a D1 scholarship, you know, or, or a pro deal. I think that helped me a lot in high school is I wasn't even sure if I was good enough to play college baseball. So I was just trying to get better. One, I was trying to battle to get on a high school team and get on the field. So I think that helped me a lot, just kind of temper my expectations. It wasn't even anything I even concerned myself with until later on in high school that I just wasn't concerned with it. I was just trying to get better to help my high school team. And that probably was huge for you. You were probably a better player and had a better experience. And a better teammate. Just end up being a better teammate that way because you're not worried about things out of your control. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's a tough thing, I think, with our current environment with travel ball and showcases playing such a huge role. It's it's hard sometimes to kind of deprogram the kids and get them to focus on, hey, this is a high school sport. This is an experience you're not going to get to relive. Enjoy it. Make the most of it. This is not <laughs> being the here and now. You said you're trying to get caught up a little bit on the, the psychology side, the mental aspects. Where What are some resources you're diving into besides podcasts for, for to try to get caught up a little bit on the mental skills side? Sure. So some of it's just asking around to other coaches, um, listening to some of Hannah Houston stuff. Um, a lot of it for me is just figuring out, hey, what are the, what are the resources? Where are the go-to places to kind of understand? Um, Hannah's talk at the convention was awesome. Her East stage yeah. talk. It was. I was getting text messages. I didn't. We had a little family emergency. I didn't get down there, but a couple of my friends were there, and they were saying to me snippets. And I was like, I can't wait till the podcast comes out. She's she's awesome. It's great stuff, and the fact that it's relevant. I mean, I think people forget that, that even professional players are going to have some of the same challenges and issues, and it's yeah. really relevant stuff. And Rachel, I think it's the Rachel did a great job. Bianca did a great job. You know, they oh, they yeah. bring a good perspective. Yeah. Um Their their perspective is really good, and I appreciate all of them. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That goes back to all the good resources. Yeah. What are some final thoughts or something I should ask you that I didn't? You covered a lot of stuff. I think, you know, the big thing is I, I want our girls and, and the kids that are out there to know, hey, you know, regardless of, of what the landscape looks like now, don't be afraid to keep plowing forward. Who knows what opportunities are there? And I do honestly feel like if you're willing to work hard and commit to whatever it is that you're going after, there's an opportunity for you. Just got to find your place. Yeah. Jennifer, I appreciate you coming on, especially Easter weekend. I know we're all busy, but I appreciate you doing this. And um, this this will come out. This is one of our minority spotlights. So um, this will come out here in a couple weeks. And so we'll do a highlight on everything. But Jennifer, thanks for – I've enjoyed our our relationship. It's it's been great. So I enjoy you coming on. So I appreciate it. I appreciate you. Appreciate you making time for it and looking forward to catching up soon. Appreciate Coach Hammond for jumping on the podcast with me. She's setting herself up for success, working at every level of the baseball industry. She's doing a good job of paying her dues. Thanks again to Jim Richardson, John Litchfield, Zach Hale, and Matt West in the ABC office for all their help on the podcast. Feel free to reach out to me via email, rbrownlee at abca.org, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at coachb underscore abca, or direct message me via the MyABCA app. This is Ryan Brownlee signing off for the American Baseball Coaches Association. Thanks, and leave it better for those behind you. Set me free